Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, of course, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are here, you are you, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. And before we get into it, Ben, um, I have to ask you about the bag of chips that's sitting next to your computer. Yes, okay, yeah. Uh, So I... Like my compatriots, I do many things here at How Stuff Works, and one of them is uh, True Story, a show uh, wherein I go live with uh, my pal Lauren Vogelbaum, who you remember from the show, and eat strange snacks from around the world. Matt, the thing you are asking about, uh, everyone can hear the crinkling sound, so you know it's real. Can you do it right in the mic for the ASMR fans out there? All right, we'll do it slowly, and we'll do an ASMR voice. Crinkle, crinkle, dot. Okay, way too many people liked that way too much. Well, so this this bag of chips I've been carrying around like a lucky talisman, it's a a Japanese company uh, that's called Lonely God. Uh, would, Would you guys like to describe the symbols on here? Well, I'm seeing some kind of angelic, perhaps cherub, but fully clothed. 
cherubic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, but it's more of a magic wand than any kind of uh, arrow, bow and arrow situation. It looks almost like noodles. That's probably a fairy then if it's got a magic wand. That's oh, a good okay. call. But yeah. also it's – It's it a halo. halo. Yeah, true. these are vegetable flavor potato twists. They're twists, what, exactly. That's what the Japanese translates to. But I'm in love with it because the name Lonely God is the best, most melodramatic name for a snack I've ever had. And also the little – the little. I'm assuming this is the little Lonely God. He is hovering above a landscape of towers with little flags, sort of a like a, like a medieval village. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's also a little spokes creature that appears to be a, a tiny a um, bok choy, anthropomorphic maybe? bok choy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> waving hello. Um, this is not what today's episode is about, though. No, but we do want to leave people with a question. Yeah. When you, you can see a picture of this, we'll put it up on our uh, Instagram. We're Conspiracy Stuff Show. Smooth plug there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the big question that I, I have, and I don't know if you guys noticed this, it's named Lonely God. But he's smiling. Yeah, very happy. Enjoy. Hmm. I have a theory. Okay, lay it on me. I think the chips represent humanity, but the lonely god is getting really excited about devouring. Yeah. I mean, I thought, yeah, I like that because I thought oh. it was a comment on mortality, but I think most things are a comment on mortality. Aren't they all? Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. But you may be asking yourself, uh, is it true? Have the guys finally realized my unspoken dream and decide to do a podcast just on a particular brand of Japanese vegetable flavored potato <laughs> twist? Yeah. <laughs> well, the, uh, unfortunately for the maybe – how many people do you think that is? Three? Twelve? You never know, man. It takes all kinds. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we, uh, we are focusing on something different today, but this is information you need to know. Uh, so trigger warning if you are someone who is very, very easily offended by non-biased political uh, reporting. Mm-hmm. If politics have sort of for you become a religion – this might not be the episode for you. Or if you're just one of these people that's just trying everything in your power to shut yourself off from politics entirely, mm-hmm. also maybe not the episode for you because things have gotten a little uh, little divisive out there. Yeah, yeah, but if you don't want to listen to it, my request would be mm-hmm. just hit play. Let it run all the way through uh, and then you know put your headphones back in when it's finished. So we still get the clicks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, uh, and of course our <laughs> – Our commercials are also always hilarious. Yeah, so maybe skip to the commercials. Maybe there – you know what? Do you think there's someone who listens to this show just to hear us talk about uh, commercial stuff? Yeah, Kevin's out there. He knows who he is. This ain't no commercial (laughs) (laughs) That's an ODB reference. Yeah. (laughs) That's old dirty bastard. So uh, we have given you so many fun things to fall into internet rabbit holes. Here's the point. With political stuff, whether you consider yourself politically apathetic or you say I'm a far, far left socialist, Marx did not go far enough, or you're a hardcore supporter of the current presidential administration, the Trump administration, or you're a disillusioned, uh, formerly politically passionate person, or you're a foreign observer, or anything in between, there's one thing that's absolutely certain. Domestic U.S. politics are more unpredictable now than they have been in decades. Oh, yeah. Regardless of what side of the uh, the aisle your favorite mass media is telling you to bucket yourself in. Uh, as of April 10th, the current White House administration has lost 22 people. And that number may change by the time this podcast comes out. Five of them were fired. 
the rest resigned. And it's not unusual <clears throat> to be loved by anyone. No, it's not unusual <laughs> for officials to leave an administration while the current president's still in term. This can happen for any number of reasons. And just because that happens doesn't automatically mean something is sketchy or nefarious. You know, people sometimes just retire. You know, like I love this job, but I'm 76. They also sometimes get fired one day before retiring. That's a thing that happens. Yes. One would hope that happens uh, less in the highest offices in the land. But, you know, it's a tough economy all around. And some, some of these people leave their government posi- positions for private sector positions. That's mm-hmm. a common thing. Yeah, they get a better job offer somewhere else, whether that's purely financial, whether it's better for their families, or it's something really prestigious. Like sometimes you'll hear about uh, someone serving in um, a presidential administration who gets a really sweet, prestigious gig as an Ivy League professor. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's something that – that's when you start thinking about your capital L legacy. And, you know, there are high-stress positions. In some cases, people might leave because their doctor says this is going to kill you, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah, so they get a sweet job as a – Consultant. Mm-hmm. Right. They're at a they're at a think tank or a foundation. Or no secret, they flat out disagree with their peers and the president. As you can imagine, the White House uh, is a very competitive place. All politics are at that level. Uh, in other words, shit happens as as it tends to do. Today's episode is about a particular firing, that of former FBI director James Comey, along with the aftermath, the controversy, and according to him, the stuff the White House doesn't want you or us to know. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and get into the background of Mr. James Comey. Uh, His name, his given name, was James Brian Comey, and he was born December 14th, 1960. I got to say, unless this is a typo, his middle name, Brian, kind of a funny spelling. B-R-I-E-N. Yeah, that's right. What's up with that? Maybe it's an old family name. Yeah. Maybe it's a life lesson his parents baked into his childhood. Isn't uh, Conan O'Brien's last name I-E-N? I think that's different, though. O'Brien versus Brian. Well, perhaps, but maybe there's something Irish in there back in the days. Well, Comey sounds Irish. Comey O'Brien. James O'Brien Comey. <laughs> okay. Sweet lad. He was born in Yonkers, though. Yeah, he was born in Yonkers, New York. You ever been to Yonkers? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wait, is, is, it so, it's, it's a, is it considered a borough? It's sort of it's – it's, it's an own township? Maybe? Yeah, it's, it's, it's out of the way. Yeah. It's not a borough, though, I don't think. I don't know if it is. I don't think it is. But still a lovely time when I went there. I've heard good things. Uh, he also attended uh, College of William and Mary, uh, originally majoring in, get this, chemistry and religion. Which is interesting because you notice he doesn't really espouse a whole lot of overt religious ideas, which may well be a product of his – Stature and the type of job that he has inhabited, types of jobs that he has inhabited. Right. Pretty important for a guy like that to remain neutral. There's um, a reason, yeah. yeah. But yeah. that comes into play, this idea of remaining neutral. Well, yeah, his – a lot of his convictions are rooted there, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And we, we say his personal convictions, mm-hmm. not his convictions. During his time working as an attorney, he got his Juris Doctorate from University of Chicago in 85 – 
why did I say Chicago? Yeah. In Chicago. That's where it happened. That's where it happened. Uh, he's been in public service for a long, long, long time. Uh, he was at the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York from 87 to 93. Uh, he then served as managing assistant U.S. Attorney in charge of the Richmond Division for the Eastern District of Virginia. Imagine that business card. <laughs> and they say we have long names here. Uh, from 1996 to 2001, and he was a professor of law at the University of Richmond at the same time. He served as U.S. Attorney for Southern District of New York from 2002, 2003, and he had, you know, he had some adventures. He was making some splashes. He really was. Um, in addition to tackling the notorious home cook and crafting impresario Martha Stewart for insider trading, um, he also tackled the notorious Gambino crime family of uh, El Cosa Nostro, the mafia. Big, mm-hmm. big deal. He was responsible for prosecuting um, and indicting numerous members of the Gambino crime family. Fourteen, I believe, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. this taught him a lot, I, mm-hmm. I believe, and he's he's stated that recently, mm-hmm. that this time in his, in his career taught him a lot about the things that he holds dear now. Yeah, one of one of which is is truth. And I joked about the Martha Stewart thing, but he in an interview um, in this very interview we're talking about today with Stephanopoulos talked about how he considered not bringing that case against Martha Stewart because she was a rich and famous person, and that he might be you know looked askance at or people give him a hard time. Right. But he realized. No, there was this other guy who was an African-American um, pastor who had done the same thing. He had lied to the FBI regarding some other matter. Martha Stewart was insider trading, and that guy went to jail for a year. And he looked – he said he was, was standing in his office in New York looking out over the Brooklyn Bridge and said, I'm probably the only person in this city that knows this man's name. Why should – Martha Stewart be treated any differently. So he did bring the case against her. So obviously a man of conviction. Yeah, and you have to you have to respect that. One thing I found that was interesting in the Martha Stewart research when I was doing that was that there was this idea that she might be seen as too much of a showboat mm-hmm. and people might say, you know, you are not doing justice. You are grabbing headlines for later in your political career. And that's a very viable concern. So the fact that he – at least according to him again, is the fact that he is prizing ugly truths and the slow grind of justice over the quick ephemeral pop of a headline is going to be very important as we go further in here. And he did some things that people found contradictory during this time. We can't forget, too, that he is the one writing this narrative. I mean, the interview we're talking about today is part of a book tour. Um, He is writing a book about his life that he says it's not a memoir. It's moments in his career that are teachable and he considers valuable for understanding what's going on in the political climate right now. But we have to understand this is all through the lens of James Comey, or a lot of it. Right. And it's seen as... Despite what he may or may not say, uh, it is seen as a memoir by mass media and journalists and it's also um, a philosophic book, a philosophical work, at least again in mm-hmm. his opinion, the way it's framed. Uh, he did he did some big stuff though. He also investigated a controversial pardon by President Bill Clinton of a fellow named Mark Rich. You guys know who this is? Yeah. Another story. Yeah, this is a, a dude um, – this is a dude that Bill Clinton pardoned. We're going to get into it a little later in the episode, like full details. But okay. it's a dude and his confidant or his partner 
that Bill Clinton pardoned and he was involved with a huge tax fraud scandal and also possibly selling things to the enemy. Geopolitical crimes. Yeah, That's what like he's major, involved with and it made him a billionaire. Yeah, and then he scooted away to Switzerland to hide out mm-hmm. and – Bill Clinton, as he's leaving, he's just like, right before he closes the door, he's like, oh, by the way, these two dudes, they're good. And that guy died uh, in Lucerne, Switzerland, in a place known as the uh, the Rose Villa or the Pink Villa. Probably mm-hmm. in a uh, a giant pile of cash. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So while, uh, while he's working as Deputy Attorney General, uh, James Comey, or Jim to his friends, uh, he does things that, uh, as I said before, might sound kind of controversial. So for instance, he fought against domestic surveillance under the NSA mm-hmm. and refused to approve approve some of these requests to the point where he said, I will resign if you don't do this. And a lot of this fight was outside of the public purview because this stuff was still classified. Yeah. So it sounds like a good guy. However, this is the same guy who endorsed several quote-unquote enhanced interrogation techniques, including waterboarding, though he did go back later and say he considered waterboarding torture, but the legal definition was such that it was tough for him to pin it down. And he's also all about legal definitions and following the letter of the law. He does not look at it as something that's up for interpretation, as we'll see played heavily into his uh, fight against the surveillance state kind of situation. Well, yeah. I mean, he's one of the top attorneys in all of the land. A real hot shot, getting real big. But it's, yes, yeah, real hot shot. Also quite big. tall. Yes, very tall. Mm-hmm. But uh, he he has to look at the letter of the law. That's what the whole point of his role is, is there are people who want things and he goes, well, okay, let's see what we can do according to the precedents. And also during in in public service at a federal level, when one is supposed to be politically agnostic or politically mm-hmm. neutral, you have to put in a lot of effort to toe that line even if even if you use your position to uh, bend the rules in favor of your ideology. You never want to be seen doing that publicly. Regardless, of, you could be like a Green Party attorney general and it's still your job to prosecute uh, PETA if they do something out of line. Uh, yep. But th- I don't think that's ever happened. I think people for the ethical treatment of animals are th- probably not getting prosecuted by the New York attorney. But you know what? I'm going to check that out after this show. <laughs> okay. So he leaves public service. He goes into the private sector from 2005 to 2013, working for Lockheed Martin for a lot of that time. Uh, but he's never far from politics. He also testifies uh, in Congress. He's he he's in He's in it. He can't really escape it. He was even briefly floated, this was news to me, as a replacement for an associate justice, uh, David Souter. And in 2013, he returns to public service. He becomes the seventh director of the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, replacing a guy called Robert Mueller. Sounds familiar. And that's an appointment, so it requires confirmation, right? Yes. And he was confirmed by a 93 to 1 vote for a 10-year term. Two senators voted present. I love that. I still love the <laughs> so cartoonish that they could do that. Like yeah. I'm in the room. Yeah, that's I. I don't know. You know, it's like you wish you could do that in your personal life. You got, sometimes stand up and be counted literally just means saying, "Hey, I, I showed up." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it always reminds me of those uh, videos, the scandalous videos of uh, U.S. Congress, where you see the one guy who showed up for the vote 
who knows what other people are supposed to vote, just like hitting random buttons for the vote on these desks. <laughs> are you joking? No, that's real. That's real. What? How, how is that? I'm sorry. How is that uh, okay? Uh, it's uh, it's yeah. not. <laughs> it's not okay. It's legal, but it's not okay. Interesting. Is yeah. there a name for that? There should be like some sort of like derogatory, slang, some derogatory name for that. We should. Yeah, we'll make one up. We'll make one up. Send us your suggestions. Button fingering. Ooh. That's not bad. That's button fingering is not bad, and we'd like to hear your suggestions for that too. Uh, we'll post the video so you can check it out in full. Uh, but that is that. That's his life up to that time, and then the plot twists occur during his career as an FBI director. Two of his biggest investigations concerned allegations of illegal activity in the Clinton Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, as well as allegations of Russian interference in the most recent presidential election. And he was fired as director of the FBI quite recently. Uh, Then-President Donald Trump dismissed him on May 9th, 2017, and that's when things take a turn, a turn that we will explore after a word from our sponsors. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up... So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. 
Attention, true crime enthusiast, searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Okay, so the timeline. You've probably heard a lot about this if you if you have followed this story on your um, media of choice, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which, of course, Facebook hopes is them. And the day after May 9th, the day after he's fired by the Trump administration, he sends a letter to the FBI staff and he says – I have long believed that a president can fire an FBI directive for any reason or for no reason at all. I'm not going to spend time on the decision or the way it was executed. I hope you won't either. It is done and I will be fine, although I will miss you and the mission deeply. And this also occurred while he was out of the office. Yeah. <laughs> it's he a was real like, kick He's on pants. the other side of the country, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, May 10th also, Trump had uh, two Russian visitors to his office and he told them, Hey, I, I fired the FBI director, so. Yes, quite interesting to break that news to people on the day you did it. I guess it was already in the news as it was occurring. but Right. But again, the the thing is, it's so easy if you already have a pre-existing bias to say, boom, there's our smoking gun. That proves yeah. it. Uh, any president is going to have a really busy schedule, and those people may have already been, like, locked in to visit uh, for uh, whatever, 26 minutes or something yeah. uh, a or, year ago. Or, or were they coming to visit and he knew it and he was like, oh, I better fire this guy before they show up. Well, that's, you know, that's interesting because when all three of us were separately looking at timelines, it's incredibly clear that there was so much tension beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like uh, as FBI director, Comey was avoiding the president, which seems weird, like avoiding moments alone with – your boss, you know, because uh, there was the question of uh, loyalty that appeared to come up or yes. impropriety. Well, not only came up, but it's it's the title of Comey's book. I mean, that's like the whole – his whole thing is mm. a higher loyalty because mm. he claims in this meeting that he had with, with President Trump that was meant to be in his mind a, a business meeting involving multiple parties. It ended up just being – he showed up and it was just him and Trump. He's like, what gives? And supposedly, President Trump asked him to pledge his loyalty. Mm. Um, and Comey's whole notion here is, it's not mine to pledge to you, sir. My loyalty is to the mission, as he said, the thing he would miss when he was let go, mm. and and to the country, and the people, and to the truth and justice, and all those lofty ideas. He's, you know, we're not in some kind of uh, monarchy where you kneel down and pledge your loyalty to some sort of, you know, king. That's just not how we do it, right? Right. Well, yeah, that's the idea. That is the idea. And that is certainly (laughs) the way Comey looks at it. Yeah, yeah. And one would assume that's the way that all federal officials are supposed to look at it, right? Uh, And we know things started going weird in 
2017, January 6th, right? Uh, that's when Trump gets uh, intelligence briefing and it's also when he meets James Comey for the first time. James Comey visits along with CIA director John Brennan, National Intelligence Director James Clapper and a couple of other folks to brief Trump on the ongoing investigation into Russian interference with the election. At this point, they're briefing Trump on what they see as a continuing, developing story. Here's what we know. Yeah, and it's right before he officially, like, takes the oath of office. But he's he's president. Like, he's been elected president. He's president-elect, but he's not officially president yet. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where you, you get him up to speed kind of, I guess. Right, which seems like it would be a necessary and crucial thing mm-hmm. because as as we've seen in earlier examples or earlier episodes, one thing that people in the U.S. take for granted all the time is that there is still stability during a transference of power and that doesn't happen in many other countries. In many other countries, as soon as the uh, titular head is weak or compromised or gone, then it's every, anybody's game and people die. Yeah. So a peaceful transfer of power is an amazing thing uh, and one that we often take for granted. But this transition had some bumps, at least with Comey. So then um, on January the 20th, 2017, President Trump takes the oath of office. And I, I was actually in Washington, D.C. on that very day uh, for a work thing. I went to the, the Women's March on Washington. That was the next day. And we flew in. I got out of the plane at the airport hearing Trump saying that oath. Um, it was very interesting. Um, and that day, I we, we didn't go to the inauguration, obviously, but we experienced the aftermath, and that aftermath was some very interesting stuff. There was a lot of things on fire. Um, there were riot police everywhere. There were low-flying helicopters. There were um, just gangs of people kind of wearing like black uh, masks and, and, and black clothing, um, kind of chanting with megaphones and um, turning over newspaper boxes, and, and there was this just chemical smell everywhere. It was, it, it was the closest thing to a uh, post-apocalyptic hellscape that I'd ever experienced uh, as, as, a, as a grown boy. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember seeing pictures, but that's, that's all. To be there, it's a whole different thing. Uh, then we jump forward and really Comey here is dealing with a lot of the Russian investigation for quite a while. They're looking at the possibility that Michael Flynn was vulnerable to blackmail by Russia uh, specifically um, by the, uh, by the intelligence community there. Um, then we jump to January 27th, and this is when uh, Comey and Trump have a dinner together, and this is when the whole loyalty thing comes mm. up. Oh, one thing to pepper in there too, and we have to, if we're passing around the clown moments, we have to give Comey his own as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was desperate not to seem associated uh, in an ideological way with Trump as a lifelong Republican. Uh, he thought it would compromise. It, it would make him look bad due to the fact he's also investigating the Clinton email controversy. So this is where you may remember uh, he was he was mocked for wearing a blue blazer and apparently trying to blend in with the drapes. Uh, that, <laughs> that was on um, – that was on the 22nd, but what you're saying the 27th is is such a titular moment 
he's being asked in what he feels. Again, this is a guy who has a history of prosecuting gangsters. He's being asked about loyalty and what to him feels like a very Godfather-esque moment. It's a very kiss the ring kind of moment, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, pay obeisance or let me, you know, let me know that not just that I can trust you to do your job, but that you will be loyal to me specifically, not even to your office. At least that's how he took it and that's how he still sees it. We're not saying that that was the president's intention. We're saying that's how Comey interpreted it. Yeah, and and the rest of that discussion was basically Comey saying, uh, look, sir, you're not officially under investigation for this whole Russia thing. And then Comey states that allegedly Trump was – saying, well, maybe you should investigate it just to make sure nothing nothing bad happened there. So we kind of are led down this road of will Comey be looking further into the Russia in, – you know, the Russia thing with the election? Um, will he, won't he? Right. How much, to what extent, and how much does Trump really care? And it sounds like they were almost engaging in negotiation-type tactics – in, in a transaction of sorts in the conversation because Comey says that he felt uh, he was being manipulated into what he would call a patronage relationship. Like that there was – again, in his opinion, uh, he he interpreted this as a way to – make him ask for his job and then feel like it was being done some sort of favor and that mm-hmm. a, a, an attempt to make him feel indebted. Ugh. And so this tense relationship continues. What Matt just described is the the defining moment for the book that Comey will later write. And without going into – too much granular detail about the different backs, backs and forths, mm-hmm. plural, they had uh, over the course of this increasingly rocky relationship can say that it, it does come to a head uh, even before the official firing. There's a, there's a lot of stuff happening. You can follow the president's tweets where he says, you know, he's blaming Comey for giving the Clinton campaign, quote, a free pass. And this is historically, he does go out and say, especially on Twitter where there's no handlers or PR filters, he he has set a precedent where he'll go out and openly disagree with some of the people working for him, which regardless of how you feel about it, it's something he does. So this on basis might not be anything different, Right. Before we get into the, the what happened after the firing and all that fun stuff, um, can we talk a little bit about the what he did to investigate those allegations of Russian interference with the president presidential election? Uh, you mean after McCain gave him the Steele dossier or, or the well, process of? I don't know. I mean, like, I guess I'm a little fuzzy on the details of of which thing he was most involved in because everyone knows about his involvement with the Clinton campaign. Mm-hmm. But I don't think of him as much as being involved in the Russia thing. Um, so I'm, I'm throw it to you guys. What do you think was what role did he play that? Because if I'm not mistaken, Trump's ultimate rationale, outwardly at least, for firing him was that he poorly handled the Clinton investigation, that he botched it? Right, uh, that he essentially took what would have been an open and shut case and 
either through inaction, incompetence, or malicious design, right. made it made it disappear and focused on the fake news of Russia interference. I see. Okay. So what what was the uh, fake news that he focused on? So the Russia matter goes into a couple of different areas. One, we mentioned the Steele dossier. That's the one that um, that's the one that you'll hear a lot of cable news networks say is either completely fake, made by a British intelligence officer named Christopher Steele. I mean, it's a real thing, but they'll say that this dossier contains uh, fabricated claims. But since often cable news will cater to the lowest common denominator, you will probably recognize it more easily as the quote-unquote P-tape memo. Yep. Yep. Which – It's uh, coming back to me now. Now, yeah. that you, now that you mentioned this prurient <laughs> trash, my mind is just lighting up like <laughs> well, a switchboard. That's the, that's the thing that's uh, fascinating is because President Trump directly addresses this. And it's like, no way. No, I would never do that. You think a guy like me has to pay for hookers to pee on him? Apparently, that's their. That was one of the first conversations they had. Also, he said he's a germaphobe. Yep. So he was like, "Look, buddy, you got the wrong guy." I the idea of someone urinating on or around me is weird. That's yeah. a paraphrase, but yeah, germaphobe. And why would I pay someone for sex? So R- Russia in the um, and we'll. We'll get back into this after after a break, but the information that he's receiving about Russia, one of the things that the FBI has to do whenever they receive any kind of information is they have to first discern whether it's credible. Mm-hmm. And determining whether something is credible is a lot trickier than it looks, especially when we live in a world where – I mean, you hear that loathsome phrase, fake news being thrown around all the time, uh, but – other countries have been doing this to each other for centuries. Yeah. You know? uh, we just started talking about it on Twitter a few years ago. But this, this is interesting because he's receiving stuff that he has to verify and say, is this a fake report about Russian interference? Is this a credible threat? And, you know, uh, as, as you and Noel had said, the president himself said, look, just investigate this, get this miasma of bad vibes and unfounded rumors away from me. Everybody knows Trump hates bad vibes. Every, I mean, who is pro bad vibes? Yeah, hard to I, say. I, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> no, that's that's great. No, I just mean pro bad vibes is hard to say. <laughs> oh, <laughs> pro bad. See, yeah. pro bad vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pro bad vibes. Yeah. Should be pro a theater vibes. exercise. Yeah, it's a tongue twister. Uh, you're welcome, theater uh, theater aficionados, but. The emails. We've mentioned these. Matt, what's going on with these emails? <laughs> well, but her emails. <laughs> well, this is uh, this is tough even for us because we did a whole episode on these emails. On the Clinton conspiracy. Yeah. That's right. We did, but we didn't have the information we have today. We That is correct. At the time, we were going on a lot of the things that were coming out from the FBI speaking of this – Thing that was the Hillary Clinton uh, email review. It was called a few times. It was called the Matter. I believe James Comey called it the Matter. Mm-hmm. Um, then it was a security, a security something or other, and it, then it became an investigation. Yeah. And the reason why it was so important 
was because the presidential election of 2016 was occurring. Hillary Clinton was running in that election, if you recall. And James Comey, the head of the FBI, came out 11 days before the election and uh, he sent this letter to Congress and it stated that in light of new information, the investigation into Hillary Clinton's email server was going to continue and be reopened because up until this point, it had kind of been – Shut down. They were like, nothing else to see here. It's fine. Yeah. And then 11 days before the election, Comey sent a letter to Congress. And that's the part that's interesting, right? Because that, to correct me if I'm wrong, was it that move that really gave Trump the ammunition he needed to call him incompetent? Was that he did something that potentially swayed the election, even though it was in Trump's favor? Like, how do you guys see that? Yeah, I, I knew it was something that he felt was a, a very big ethical dilemma mm-hmm. because he felt it was his duty to report it, but he also felt that uh, there was no way he could do that without intervening even even reluctantly in the election. And so, you know, imagine it from the – imagine it from the perspective of someone who has been keeping eyes on the story and is already convinced that there's something really – really shifty going on here. The fact that the FBI reopens the thing 11 days before the election. Yeah, that's huge. You feel like you're voting for – like who are you voting for? You know what I mean? That's spooky stuff. So he – even though he knew specifically what this was and he felt that maybe there wasn't any any fire or even – maybe even he spoke, but – Regardless of that, he felt, again, honor-bound. He felt a higher loyalty Mm -hmm. to report this, and it's pretty much inarguable that it did sway the election. Yes. But regardless, if you want to learn about his opinion of this, you can check out his book. He released a book. He's talking to the press, everybody and anyone. So what's he saying? We'll get into that right after a quick word from our sponsor, and it's going to get crazy. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Here's where it gets crazy. Comey's book, A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership, was released on April 17th. Two days before that, uh, he gave, which I believe the unedited version of this was five hours, an interview with George Stephanopoulos for That's 2020, um, was edited down to a single hour. That's insane. That, isn't, that, isn't that insane, just the stamina of that yeah. on both sides? I, I, I would have a rough time with that. Um, and he he dropped some bombs. Dropped a few bombs. Right. Yeah, he has uh, – well, he has a great quote that I think you found, Matt. Sure. He says, we can fight as Americans about guns or taxes or immigration, and we always have. But what we have in common is a set of norms. Most importantly, the truth. Dot, dot, dot. The foundation of this country is in jeopardy when you stop measuring our leaders against that central value of truth. And we talked about that early on, about his dilemma he had with like Martha Stewart versus this no-name um, pastor um, who both got in trouble for lying to the FBI. And he says the reason that's such an important thing for him is because, quote, when, when you lie, quote, the rule of law breaks down. He says you can't or the rule of law breaks down. And there once was a day when people were afraid of going to hell. This is interesting. This kind of contradicts what I said earlier about him not being overtly religious. Going to hell if they took an oath in the name of God and violated it. We've drifted away from that day and so in its place has to be a fear that if you lie and the government can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, they will prosecute you in order to send a message to all the others who might be called upon to give evidence. You must tell the truth. It matters enormously. And he also details both in the book and the interview uh, his experience fighting the uh, – the government behind the government mm -hmm. in pursuit of uh, the NSA expanding abilities, well, expanding publicly acknowledged abilities to uh, wiretap U.S. citizens and surveil them domestically without a warrant. 
He has a very tense meeting with VP Dick Cheney, who is uh, who is obviously bullish about this, and then he just barely manages to save a debilitated John Ashcroft. Dying in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Hospitalized at the time, uh, the attorney general. Uh, he manages to save him from being exploited by, in his opinion, exploited by White House counsel Alberto Gonzalez and uh, Bush's chief of staff, Andrew H. Card. That is, this is the most crooked stuff I've ever heard in my life. I was shocked. I had not heard the story and the way he tells it is fascinating. He you know, has this meeting with Cheney where he shuts it down and says, look, because Cheney looks him in the eye and says, what does he say? Thousands of people will die if you don't sign off on us doing this warrantless wiretapping. Mm -hmm. Ticking time argument like in torture. Yeah, and he says, well, look, dude, I mean, that doesn't make me feel very good, but the law is the law, and this is what the law says, and I cannot in good conscience as uh, the number two in the Justice Department. Yeah, he's deputy director. Yeah, cannot sign off on this. Yeah, and then uh, he gets this this meeting, as you can tell, doesn't go well. He gets an urgent call and says, you know, your boss, John Ashcroft, is in the hospital, and right now those two men I named earlier, Card and Gonzalez, are on the way to essentially force him to sign this. Yeah, or while he's he's down and out. Or like, like, trick him. Go, buddy. Sign this. Let me me grab your hand there. Yeah. But he ends up showing up, beats them uh, to the hospital, and he basically he didn't even have to be there, at least according to the way he told the story John Ashcroft. He was with it enough that he, you know, used every last bit of strength. Yeah. He said, (laughs) nah, man. (laughs) So the – this confrontation led to, yeah, Ashcroft supporting Comey – formally and completely co-sign him. So from Comey's side and from the side of people who were against warrantless surveillance, at least this battle worked out in their favor. And it sort of makes him look like a bit of a friend of of, of freedom and liberty. And again, it's him telling the story. Oh, big time. Because, man, what (laughs) an apocryphal sounding story this (laughs) is. The dying attorney general with his last breath points at you and says, you are the one, you know? That's and it. everything goes in slow mo yeah. as the hand with the pen gets closer to the page. And then he knocks it. Is, <laughs> and you have the boom, boom. Yeah. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. That's the heartbeat that always mm-hmm. shows up in oh, the yeah. slow mo. Well, moments. of course, wasn't it Robert Mueller, the guy currently investigating the Russia situation? Yeah. He also shows up at the hospital. He doesn't show up. He, he talks to him on the phone. I believe. Oh, okay. okay. He talks to him on the phone, um, telling him. Uh, that they didn't support this. And then Mueller said, well, if you, the Justice Department, doesn't support this, then we, the FBI, which is admittedly a separate entity, mm-hmm. but yet still part of the machine that is the Justice Department, we cannot rightfully support this either. Mm-hmm. So he, he said in the interview with Stephanopoulos, they weren't really pals. They respected each other. Um, but man, what a crazy flipperoonie, right? Seriously. Yeah, they were work friends. <laughs> I guess I just mean that this interaction they had and then the way things would come to pass with Mueller being, you know, the the the, the guard dog sent after Trump after, you know, Comey was just axed. Or after Russian connections at least. Yes. So, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But still, the perception yeah. in the public and um, perpetuated by the Trump administration is that Mueller is unfairly, right. doggedly – Chasing after Trump himself and, and his administration. And ignoring the real issues. I think the phrase they throw around is witch hunt, right? Yep. That's yep. the phrase that's around. But we um, we know 
this is an important point to acknowledge. It's not like these guys were hanging out and getting milkshakes or smoothies every day after work. They no. didn't call each other to be like, hey, what, what are you thinking about? Nothing? You? No. They weren't on that level. So this is a very important point. They weren't working in concert towards some kind of witch hunt, at least from yeah. their perspective. Another interesting thing that came out in this interview, uh, Ben and Noel, something we've talked about before on that same episode about Hillary Clinton, I believe, the uh, the whole Whitewater scandal case. Which we still never did an episode on. We I think we mentioned it in that episode, but yeah. we never – we didn't go into it. Mm-hmm. But I, it was interesting to find out that Comey actually worked that case briefly for about five months. Mm-hmm. He He was looking into specifically the suicide of Vincent Foster – who was a White House uh, council member. Right, who was implicated. Mm-hmm. And then he also speaks about the pardon of Mark Rich. Uh, Mark Rich, as, what Mark Rich did, and he has a lot of fans out there in the world, uh, what he did that is a crime and is proven is that he violated sanctions against Iran. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who think – there should be more sanctions on Iran. There are a lot of people who think there should be fewer sanctions on Iran. But regardless, what he did was uh, use those sanctions or the violation of them for his own personal profit. And he made a ton of money. Uh, then he later got uh, pardoned. And this was, according to Comey, massive tax fraud case, hard to fight a pardon. Yep. And then we got back to the emails, right? And he – if correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but he didn't start this, right? He kind of inherited this investigation? Yeah, he said – he said it was part of ordinary intelligence collection and it just – it was part of the ordinary course of action that was occurring there. So like they were looking into things, they found something, they had a lead and they just started doing it. And he's the director, so mm. it's just kind of occurring below him and then he gets briefed, oh, by the way, we've also mm. opened this investigation. You know, one thing that you told me that I thought was remarkably shady is, okay, let's just say – because there are a lot of people who say this uh, email thing is mm. the fake news, right? And that the real problem is Russian interference and that you, they can't both have something shady going on. But you told me that they actually – the staff was messing with stuff before they turned it over as evidence, right? Yeah, it was a known thing that the Hillary – Hillary's – I don't know what you call them. They're not the administration. They're just her staff. The campaign staff. For yeah. The Clinton, administ- uh, Clinton campaign. Yeah. Yes. Uh, as she's secretary of state, as all this stuff is occurring, she – Let's say her staff broke mobile phones, the Blackberries they were using to communicate using this email server, mm-hmm. her private one. Uh, they cleaned out computers and hard drives and servers before handing it over for evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of shady stuff going on and Comey saw that and he knew that. And yeah. he was like, mm, it doesn't prove anything, but it definitely doesn't look good. The optics. Yeah. Do you remember uh, for a while when everybody was saying the optics of something? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So he also suggests that this could be a common practice. And the difficulty – or the – sorry, the crucial thing to figure out is whether this is just to safeguard sensitive information or whether it's to 
uh, how would he put it, obstruct justice. Yeah, which, you know, let's just put out a reminder here. Whenever you're getting rid of an old hard drive or a phone or anything that has a hard drive with information stored on it, be very, very careful in how you handle yeah, that. Exactly. You should also probably recycle it if you can, mm-hmm. but remove that sensitive data first. Make sure you print out all the pages <laughs> yeah. and then paste them on a wall. Yes. So you won't forget. Mm-hmm. Rent a warehouse. Paste. Put a, put a ribbon <laughs> on your pinky to remind you to get the lease to the warehouse and then make sure the keys are hidden in one of those uh, fake rock looking mm-hmm. things. But then you have to write yourself a note somewhere that you remember which rock is the fake one. Yeah. And set a Google reminder <laughs> with just part of the coordinates to the mm-hmm. rock. And – uh, again, he's been he's been doing this for a while. Uh, he also, in the interview, I believe, addresses the situation with former director of the CIA, David Petraeus. Yeah, and he discusses how there are similarities and differences between the Hillary Clinton email thing and David Petraeus's case, where he um, he was doing things that were a little more severe, which would be in the uh, to the tune of bringing highly classified material like printed out and had handwritten notes back to his living quarters where he was living with a woman or at least staying with a woman who was also a writer slash reporter. Yes. And maybe sharing that highly classified information with her. Well, I mean, it's been said, it's been written that that he was – she was photographing it. Mm-hmm. He allowed her to photograph it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was a case that was used by a lot of critics of uh, Comey's handling of the Clinton email scandal was that he's going soft on Clinton. Um, but he was hard on Petraeus. But he was hard on Petraeus. But, you know, to hear in, – in the interview, Stephanopoulos kind of sets up the question, um, bringing up the Petraeus case, saying that a lot of the conservative critics of – uh, Comey's handling of the Clinton email scandal was that the Petraeus case was like less of a big deal, which seems crazy to me, and we'll get into mm-hmm. that in a second, than the Clinton case, and yet he chose not to prosecute Petraeus. So that, that that's the – that's sort of the crystallization of the um, um, conservative – criticism of, of his handling mm-hmm. of this. Um, to that, Comey responds uh, that – because people were saying that they were very closely related. Um, he's saying no, no. He said it was not a close call. In fact, I thought David Petraeus should have been prosecuted not just for the mishandling of the classified information, which obviously he did. He took it you know, in hand, in a mm-hmm. notebook, home, which you're not supposed to do, and with, for the intent – for the purposes of giving it to somebody – to write a book, to use, you know, totally off off base there. Um, he says not only should he have been prosecuted for the mishandling of the classified information, but also for lying to the FBI because lying, it strikes – here he is again, strikes at the heart of our rule of law in this country. He is really pushing that, that line home. And in the end, the attorney general at the time, Eric Holder, is the one who decided uh, to only charge him with the misdemeanor mishandling of classified Information. A much lower crime in the tier of offenses. And you guys, you guys, one of the things that he was sharing in there, and I didn't really understand this fully with the Petraeus mm-hmm. case, mm-hmm. a lot of the information had to do with special access programs, mm-hmm. which we've learned over the course of this show with other interviews and research. Those are some of the top level, like black budget stuff. Compartmentalized information. Yeah. yeah. You have to be read on to it. Yeah. Yeah. 
stuff that you don't share. And he's just like, check it out. Look, I'm cool. Yeah, yeah they were also in the nitty gritty of the Petraeus situation. He was also, I think the way they were communicating at times was they would write drafts mm-hmm. on a Gmail address and then never send them. But you, if you had the password, you could go check the drafts, oh. and that's how they communicate. Do you guys see the connection Smart. between these cases, though? Do you see them as being in any way, even on the scale? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I really— I mean, the FBI should investigate them. They have that in common. <laughs> okay. yeah. There you go. That's— Again, not to <laughs> sound like it. a like a Clinton apologist or anything. Mm-hmm. I have serious beef with with many things about about this person, but it it certainly feels like the use of the private email server was not nefarious at its heart in the same way as taking home a secret dossier to share with a third party is at its heart. And instead nefarious. Of, yeah, yeah, and instead of doing a whole episode on it, I'm going to Going to uh, friends and neighbors do uh, provide you all a wonderful opportunity and make my co-host uh, very irritated with me. One word, Pizzagate. What do you think? Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, no. Here we go. Uh, write in. Let it, let us know because we we have looked into it in the course of other investigations, just haven't done an episode on it. Yep. <laughs> what do you say we move on to good old Loretta Lynch? <laughs> yes, Loretta, Loretta Lynch. Lynch. She's my favorite country and western singer. Yep, put a ch at the end and you're good to go. Loretta Lynch. Yep. Uh, so what, yeah, what happens? We mentioned this earlier in the show. Uh, well, this is late 2015, two years before Mr. Comey finds his fate. Um, He meets with the attorney general, Loretta Lynch, to let her know that he's planning on making it public that there is this official investigation into the Hillary Clinton email thing. Now, a lot of people thought this was a break in precedent, but Comey says it was not at all. Why? I'm putting this to you guys and also to to, um, you folks at home. Why did he do it? How is it not a break in precedent? I, I, I'm confused. Was he just trying to – because isn't it his job to be apolitical? And yet it seemed like a decision that was informed by the need to not influence the political process but to make sure the political process was on an even keel kind of because it was during an election, a very big heated election, and it was almost like he – Wanted to make sure the voters were informed, but it's not his job to do that. So why why did he why did he come out and say it like that? So I mean, the investigation is three months old at this point. Sure, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been going on for a while. He 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 said it was important for the public to know. It was in their best interest that this was occurring because it allows them to make a more informed decision. Yeah, and, that's what he's saying. And yet, he also says all along that he was pretty sure they weren't going to prosecute her. So if he can go so far as saying, hey, this is going on, I'm confused. The lines here are really weird to me. He also doesn't say specifically, concretely why he chose to do this. Not only that, Lynch tells him, orders him in fact, not to refer to it as an investigation but to refer to it as a matter. Yeah. And the FBI interviews uh, then-presidential candidate Hillary Clinton on July 2nd, 2016. James Comey is not there. Yep. 
It's a good quote. He, he says he wasn't there because I'm the FBI director at this point, and the FBI director only on TV is the director jumping out of helicopters and conducting interviews. His job, he says, is to make the final decisions. Um, the people on the ground will do the interviews. They have been, he says, uh, actually investigating her and crawling around her life for a year. Uh, and he says that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. If Connell made uh, all the decisions and did all the interviews here with people for shows, I mean, what kind of organization would we be? Connell, uh, Connell Byrne is our boss. I don't remember if we've mentioned him on this show specifically. I think so. But you can check out some of his films. I'll, I'll drop I'll drop that bomb. In his music career, you can probably find something about that. No, that's been wiped from the internet, my friend. Yeah, that's – that's. Uh, we, oh. we don't lie. Whitewashed. Okay. The truth changes, as they say in the Pentagon. We don't lie. The truth changes. He who controls the past controls the future. Well, if anything, watch The Vault on Netflix and see him as a, a bank manager. He actually has my favorite role in that film. <laughs> me too. My fa- the only thing that scares me is bad loan. Good line. No spoilers. Uh, but we're just, you know, we're getting close to time and we have so many revelations, mm-hmm. it's probably fair to say, that came out of the book. Do you guys want a laundry list a few? Sounds like a plan. Yeah, we've certainly like listed some already, but man, it's just uh, – I wouldn't exactly call it an embarrassment of riches, um, but it's – there's some gems. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, what's one that really stuck out to you, Noel? Um, well, that he is uh, against impeachment, that Comey is against impeachment. I was going to bring that up earlier when we talked about the Watergate scandal um, and all of that and, you know, the Clinton administration. Um, it's just – and, you know, even given the fact that he – another revelation is that he said Donald Trump was unfit for office. He still doesn't think that he should be impeached. Because of the um, the inherent stability that brings to a political system or the way it, it touches upon rule of law? He says he would prefer that the people remove an unfit president uh, via an election. Via the a, vote. A recall, ah. which makes sense to me. Yeah, but that's uh, – that burden is very high on the people. It know? really is. And he also says, quote, as a citizen, I think we owe it to each other to get off the couch and think about what unites us. Yeah. I mean you, that's a very difficult thing to disagree with regardless of what you think should be uniting people. And then earlier, uh, Noel, you had also mentioned Donald Trump's motivation as Comey saw it for – investigating the allegations of Russian interference, you said it wasn't all um, just a political concern. No, he, he – I mean he quoted Trump in saying that if there's even a 1 percent chance that Melania uh, thought that this was true, he wanted it quashed. And uh, like we mentioned earlier in the show, this was one of the first conversations they had. And one thing that's interesting about all of this stuff, stuff in the book, stuff in the interview is – it could be argued that Comey is he's, – he's not really practicing what he preaches. He's, he's being a little prurient. He's, he's throwing – he's slinging mud here. He's, he's not exactly – he's sort of descending from his place on the shining mountaintop, you know, to kind of wallow in the muck here a little bit. And he says some petty things. One great example of this would be talking about hands, which was such uh, gold for comics and comedians and comedy shows leading up to the election. Uh, he he comes off pretty petty, a lot of his critics would say, in the book where yeah. he says, uh, 
I made, uh, as he extended his hand, I made a mental note to check its size. It was smaller than mine, but did not seem unusually not so. Unusually so. Again, we're talking about like, what is he, six something, six, he's a, eight? He's a he's large huge. man. He, he, Comey he is talks huge. about that too. And just, just back on the P tape thing real quick and then we'll move on. He, this is what he said. And I just feel like this is a little snipey. He says, I honestly never thought these words would come out of my mouth, but I honestly don't know whether the current president of the United States was with prostitutes peeing on each other in Moscow in 2013. It's possible, but I don't know. Wow. And it's just, come on. Come on, bro. At that point, after you make such a uh, repeated and consistent uh, habit of telling people that you have a higher loyalty, you've got the rule of law, it comes out, it feels a little off, regardless, again, of where you fall in the argument. It feels off to, as Noel said, descend from that point yeah. to, drop, to drop some hot shade about hands and urination tapes. Yeah. Well, one thing that was less petty but a really interesting observation was pulling in his experience with the Cosa Nostra, with, with the mafia, and then how he interacted with Trump. And we kind of mentioned this earlier, but just comparing his initiation ceremony that he had with Trump, the whole coming into the office, asking for loyalty, and comparing that to the initiation rituals of the La Cosa Nostra where they have this silent circle of ascent where everybody around them – just gives them their loyalty oh, and America. loyalty. Yeah, they're, yeah, exactly. The loyalty and code to that thing rather than you know, what they're in office for. Oh, it's fascinating to me. It is fascinating. But that being said, Donald Trump has been linked to the mob through you know his casino deals. Um, there, there are on record links between Donald Trump and the mob, especially in the 1980s, um, through the mafia's control over uh, unions um, in New York City. This is a known thing. Uh, labor supplies, building construction supplies, um, and you know, and Donald Trump's all about getting a good deal, and it's been pretty clearly linked that he had connections with actually a guy by the name of James B. Jacobs, who's a mafia expert, um, was part of a task force on organized crime, um, went so far as to say that was the fact of life. That was the way it was. Um, this is him talking to PolitiFact. The contractors and developers weren't pure victims. You could bribe the mob-controlled union leaders and get relief from the more arduous conflicts. But we had no information that Trump was any different hmm. as a building impresario. So I'm just saying hmm. he's – it's a little bit of a cheap shot still though, isn't it, yeah. right? Because that's for all intents and purposes how business was done in those days. If you're a building magnate, you're, you're probably in some respect in New York City crossing paths with the mafia in some way. So, but he, he knows that and he uses that in a, as a way to throw more shade at Trump, um, especially in the way he characterizes this kissing of the ring kind of meeting. Yeah, this is definitely the most epic takedown of a boss in a while. Well, when I say epic takedown, I just mean like getting to air your grievances about your boss in public and then yeah. make money on it. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. He <laughs> is he is making money. This is uh, – I th I think due to uh, some of his activities, his net worth was already estimated to be around $14 million. So he's not desperately sweating a mortgage. And that's fair, Ben. That's a very good point. Um, I, I just wonder what Trump was thinking when he fired this man. Like what What must he have been protecting for the risk of having this man out in the world spewing all this stuff? Well, it may, it may not even be that kind of calculation. It may just be I need a unified team that goes when I say go. 
You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like I, I could see that because um, the only other – how rare is it for an FBI director to get fired? The only other uh, director who got fired was during the Bill Clinton administration. Mm. And out of, out of the seven FBI directors that have ever existed here in the U.S., two have been fired. The odds are not looking great. <laughs> like because you see how weird it is to frame that that fact. You can say he was only ever the second fired, or you can say out of seven, two have been fired. Yeah, it makes a. I don't know. It makes a big difference. But I, here's one thing that stuck out to me on, that still freaks me out just a little bit, and I hope it's not a permanent thing. This may sound a little bit like dry political stuff. It might fade from the national conversation. And it might even, for some some of us in the audience, sound like there's no stuff they don't want you to know other than those memos. But this could not be further from the truth because you see to this day as we record this, the same day that the original Night Stalker was finally caught Whoa. <laughs> in Sacramento uh, or for his crimes, uh, this – this fact remains. James Comey has a secret. In his book, Comey cites a, quote, development still unknown to the American public to this day. This mysterious development, he says, was central to his decision to intervene publicly in the Hillary Clinton campaign email scandal. But wait, you might be asking, didn't all the big secrets already come out? Didn't we already know all about this email controversy? Doesn't pretty much everyone admit that Russia hacked the U.S. election system? I mean, Comey himself does, obviously. And he maintains the threat of this sort of interference will only increase in the future, mainly because, in his opinion, again, according to him, it worked so well in 2016. But nope, with a hard P. In his book, you see, Comey insists that this secret, whatever it is, will likely remain classified for decades. And this led journalists and newspapers to speculate that the secret must be deeply embarrassing, whatever it is, to F the FBI, to Comey, maybe to the intelligence agency that presented that intercepted, likely fake document, um, or the one that he thinks is mm -hmm. not of credible provenance. We don't know which U.S. agency supplied this information to Comey and the FBI. Did the FBI only discover it was likely fake after questioning the U.S. citizens named in the intercept? Does he think the U.S. intelligence officials were being sincere or were they trying to play him too? And who did he speak to about intervening and making that announcement? Did someone encourage him to do it with an earlier motive? We don't know. The agencies we rely on to fight these intelligence wars in this regard, if all this stuff is true, either fell for Russian info or knowingly exploited it even though they knew it was fake. And, mm. yeah, and it looks like this kind of stuff will continue off air as we were recording this episode. We were talking about whether or not this is a two-parter. And at the very least, it sounds like we'll have to make some sort of update because the story is not over. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm just going to give you my, not prediction, but this is what I think happened. Mm. With that secret, mm -hmm. I think they uncovered something when going through the Clinton email servers, mm. especially with the Huma Abedin stuff. Mm -hmm. I think they discovered something in there that's really embarrassing but cannot come out because it would 
uh, too many people would be implicated in it. Would it impair rule of law, perhaps? I, th- I think it might, yeah. One last thing. If we're talking about secrets, there's one other uh, bomb that was dropped that I only saw reported on Fox News. It was that uh, Comey kind of hinted um, at there being a secret regarding Attorney General, former Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Um, and he said that should it come out, it could potentially have been used as political um, ammunition um, to cast serious doubt, he says, quote, on the Attorney General's independence in connection with the Clinton investigation, mm. implying that she had skin in the game and her telling Comey to call it a matter – he, he he was not cool with that. He, instead he, of an investigation. Instead of an investigation. So, you know, secrets abound. So, yeah, is that a secret different from uh, the one I detailed about likely remaining classified for decades? How many mm-hmm. secrets are out there? We really don't know. To yep. take that famous quote, we have some unknown unknowns, That's right? That's right. So you will probably see continuing updates regarding uh, this this account of the investigation and surely I would predict that there's going to be uh, someone else coming out that has either new information contradicting this or adding to this, uh, maybe even personal information about Comey himself. It's difficult to call, right? And at this point, we want to hear from you. Do you think think that anything will come of this? Do you think that James Comey has a solid motivation – for what he believes to to pursue what he believes to be the truth? Do you think he's just trying to sell books? Do you think this is legitimate stuff or do you think it is, in the words of so many journalists, a witch hunt? We'd like to know. What do you think that big secret is that he has hinted at, either with Loretta Lynch or with something else and someone else? Honestly, we, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we're Conspiracy Stuff. We're Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. You can call us one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Nailed it. You can do this. You can call us right now and leave a voice message. We will get it. We will hear it. And uh, you might end up on the show. Don't tell anybody, but you might. And if you don't want to do that stuff, you can always write us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. 
With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.